We're going to start in verse 3, which is the front of the... uh, Well, actually, I'm going to read the intro. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. This is verse 1. To those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Continuing into verse 3, which is on the bulletin. His divine powers granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's good stuff. So starting at the beginning of this, we're going to talk about what he means. He gives us a list a list here in verses um, 4 and 5 of virtues. And so, what's this about? What's our part in this? And we're going to figure that out today by reading these, this passage. So, verses 3 and 4 essentially describe salvation, a glorious salvation, where God calls us to himself. Why? For his own glory. He grants us, tells us that he grants us Precious and great promises. The result is, of these things, that we get to participate in his divine nature. And we get to escape corruption. Sounds like a good deal. Sounds like the best deal. Us escaping worldly sinful corruption is the thing that brings God glory. And it's by his divine power and will that this happens. And we should always be thankful for this plan that God initiated from um, to uh, to rescue fallen man from corruption. So we need to praise the Lord for this. Um, in verse five and onward, it becomes clear that we do have a part in this. And here's what's interesting. Um, and I'm going to quickly go ahead and define, define something called legalism. Is that a word that we're familiar with? A lot of us would be. Some of us maybe not. It's kind of Christianese. So, legalism, which, which um, some of us may have experienced, is a doctrinally, doctrinally a position opposite of grace. Um, those, a person who holds to a legalistic position, scripturally, would typically fail to see the real purpose of God's law. Especially the purpose of the Old Testament law of Moses, which is to be our, our, our schoolmaster or our tutor or our teacher 
that points us and brings us to Christ. The true author of salvation. It's Christ who is the author, not the law. So somebody under legalism would be more, more convinced that, well, to be saved or found righteous in God's sight, I need to do the set of things. That's legalism. And um, we know that that is not what saves us. So in other words, legalism, which uh, I was raised in, says that you have to be good to be saved. Um, when I was a kid, my parents joined a missionary outfit. And the missionary outfit was not on purpose, but sort of accidentally steeped in legalism. And so I grew up from the age of, let's say, 12 to maybe 18 in this outfit. And God bless them. They had great intentions. But they, they would roll into town, and they had a big circus-sized tent. And we would set this tent up in these cities and these abandoned lots. And the purpose that they uh, found themselves with was we are going to come in and kind of wake up the sleeping church, right? You, you, get, you get that idea. I mean, we've all seen, most of us have seen, you drive by uh, and there's a tent in this field, and they've got a sign out there that's like, revival meeting tonight. It was that. So I, I was one of the, the poor kids setting up the tent, right? So, so we would come into town, and the preacher, God love him, was, uh, he preached something called fire and brimstone. And uh, does that, that's a term that I'm so used to that I'm assuming everybody knows what that is. Does anybody not know what that means? So <laughs> fire, and, fire and, brim, and brimstone is, of course, a reference to hell. And basically, it, it was like turn or burn, right? Classic. This all came out of um, a movement in the 20s. And this, these guys rolled around America for years with these big tents. And this, I, I was a, essentially my teenage years. And we learned that God wants us to be good, basically. So, and God does want us to be good, but not for the reasons that I that I thought. And so that's why I went into this little description of legalism because, you know, it's, it's our tendency. We as people, we catch on to an idea and I just, I just want to do my very best. I just really want to nail this thing. Like I'm building a deck right now. And then I have friends come over and help and I'm like, I'm kind of legalistic about my deck building. Like, don't look over there, you know. <laughs> look, look how nice this part is. And I, would just, I just want to do my very best that's something, that's a natural inclination that we all fall into, that we all have. So, and I get into that because here uh, in the Peter's second letter to the church, he gives us a list in verses, starting in 5, yeah, to 7, of things to do. Things to do, right? Oh no, there's another list i got to add to my pile of things to do. So we need, we need to look into this. Um, we need to... Get past a casual reading, because a casual theology will not hold up when the struggles of life hit. You'll cave. You'll cave like a wet noodle. We need to get past a casual reading of God's Word. So remember, 
God's word is like a gold mine, right? There's endless treasures in God's word, and it's the only it's the only word of that type. So if we're just casually scratching around on the surface, we're not going to get any gold. Just like if you went to a mine up in the hills of you know Brown County, there's a gold. There's no gold mine that I know of. But if there was, you could go there. I'm at I'm at a gold mine. You could scratch around. Why am I not finding any gold? Well, because we didn't go in the mine. We didn't go into the mine. If we rummage around on the surface, we won't find the gold. We won't discover riches. So we have to go in. We have to go deep. We have to pay special attention to God's word. This is his message to humankind. And verse 3, it says, His power is what grants us the things that pertain to life and godliness. It's by his power that we can even do these things. So right there, it's clear that living a godly life, as described here, is only possible because God gives us the ability. And this only comes after salvation. After the saving grace of Jesus has been applied to our lives. So we by ourselves are unable to meet the rigorous demands of the law. The rigorous uh, level of righteousness that only God has. We are unable to do this. We're unable to fake to fake a life of righteousness. Many of us have tried. You know, I tried from the ages of 12 to 18. And guess what? As a teenage boy, I was unable to fake a life of righteousness. Makes sense. And I bet you that all the teenage boys in this room are unable to do that as well. And it's literally more than just teenage boys. It's everybody. We're unable to fake the life of righteousness. James 2, verse 10, which we're going to be in in a couple of weeks, it says, Forever, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. So if, if I were to m- miss one point of a whole, then I've... I'm not a follower of the whole. I'm not a follower of the law. It's only God who saves us. And even our ability to believe in Him is a gift from Him. As Ephesians 2.8 says, it says, For it is by grace that we've been saved through faith. And then it makes a profound statement. It says, And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. So you can't look at a person who needs the Lord and say, Man, just believe. Just believe. Believe in the, you know, I'm telling you there's a God who can save you. Just believe. You can't. The Bible says it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So we've established that it is God who saves us through the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And it's him who draws us to believe in him. It's him who draws us to believe. And so now we're going to get into this. Um, verses 5 through 7, God gives us a list of attributes of things to make every effort to work towards. Make every effort to, in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And here's the list. To supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, 
and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Seven things. Seven things that we're supposed to make every effort to supplement our faith with. In other words, these are things that would go with the word supplement. needs to go along with and accompany our faith. We're commanded to supplement our faith with these godly virtues. Remember, the faith that we got as a gift from God to begin with is commanded to supplement that. Now, when I did this little devotion for a group of kids, I said, supplement it like syrup goes on pancakes. <laughs> so take that what you will. I think our audience is a little older. Maybe that may be a little uh, juvenile for some of you, but I couldn't think of another one. You don't want some dry old pancake. You want the syrup to supplement that thing with. In this way, we're supposed to supplement our faith that it's a gift from God with the virtues that God has. This this is super interesting. And I, I love this passage. I love it. Godly virtue supplements our faith, and we're supposed to make every effort. So... If Jesus is the one who saves us, why do we need to strive towards these seven virtues? Well, verse 5, if we back up a little bit, has the words, for this very reason, make every effort. He's saying, he said something, and then he's saying, for that reason, make every effort. So we had got, we got to go back again. We're going to go to verse 4, and here's the reason. It's because, it's so that you may become partakers of the divine nature. Is God's plan for us to partake in this divine nature. In other words, the reason we're supposed to participate, we're supposed to live out and join, is because God wants us to participate to have his divine nature. He's working us towards being more like him. We're called to do this. We're called to make every effort to. We're called to practice it. We must act. This is a call to act. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved to good works. They come as a result. So, what's interesting about this is this list of God's virtues, particularly these seven things in this passage, it acts to confirm or show us that we have indeed been saved. There's a purpose for this. So practicing these virtues demonstrates something. What does it demonstrate? By their visible existence, it demonstrates that we are in the faith. Because none of this is even possible without his gift of faith to us. Without us first being changed by Jesus the Savior. These, virtue, these virtues, it's like a sign. It's like a marker. And you know what that marker says? You're saved. What a glorious thing. Verse 9 says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. This is, he's using some strong language here. It doesn't say that whoever lacks these qualities was never saved to begin with, although that's certainly possible. 
um, through forms of legalism and things that, I, that I've lived out myself, with great effort and fakery, I could outwardly do some things that would make it appear like I was a certain way, right? If I walk into a room full of rich people, I could probably act rich to fit in. And it, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have to pull out a monocle. I would just change the way I behave. Um, it's possible through effort and fakery to somehow in a hollow and temporary way act like you have certain virtues, but it would lack in substance. So Peter is not speaking to the unsaved who may or may not be faking it. He's speaking to Christians, Jewish Christians in this letter. And from this context, we're, we're taught that a true believer who does not have these seven godly virtues, as the list here lays out, visible in their life, forgets their salvation. He calls them so nearsighted that they're blind. Pretty strong words, like he's saying, you are so nearsighted that you're blind. And what have you forgotten? You've forgotten your salvation. It says, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. This is something we should not forget because our lives depend on it. Our lives, we have to practice the virtues. Our faith has to work. Our faith has to result in action. In the first chapter of James, which if Rob is feeling better, he's going to talk about this next week. So you guys keep praying for him. James one twenty two encourages us to be doers of the word. Of the, of the words of God. We do these words, not just be hearers. Now, we're all hearing this right now, but we can't hear this and fail to practice the word. I love, I'm a simple person. I love lists. I love lists. There's a list here of things for me to practice. How cool is that? I can, I can practice these things by His grace, and because He has enabled me to do that. I can follow through. I can take this list home with me. I can practice these things in my life. And we all need to do that. If you believe it, faith is a word for belief. If you believe it, you will do it. Results in action. If you're in Christ, there's nothing you can do. This is important. I'm going back to the legalism thing. To increase your righteousness before God. His grace, God's grace to us, is not mixed with your merit. God doesn't say, I'll get you halfway there, and then you got to like work something up to get you the rest of the way there. God's grace is not mixed with our merit. But the ability to practice these seven godly virtues, along with the, um, the actual like result of doing them, so where people can see it is a result of his salvation. It's a signpost that we can look at to be sure for calling and of our, our election. Our calling, God calls us and he chooses us to be saved. Verse 8 gives us some good results of this. So let's say I'm doing this 
what does verse 8 say? If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty powerful. So not only am I saved, I'm saved so that to good works, so that I'm not ineffective, so that I'm not unfruitful. Fruitfulness, think of an apple tree. If I planted an apple tree in my front yard, it, it wouldn't grow. There's not enough sun. But if I had a great front yard like Kevin's with a lot of sun or Bob's, this thing would, would grow fruit. And if it never did, why have the stinking tree? Right? We're called to be fruitful and effective. And it says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, which means getting bigger, growing, right? You will have, you will not be, this will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. In what? In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, which has an impact on our lives. In other words, through practice, these virtues should be visible and growing. This is what happens when you work out. Like, take this muscle and I'm going to lift this bag of cement, you know, eight times and fill this one hole in the ground. And then, you know, I'm working out, right? I'm, I'm using my muscle. I'm lifting things. My muscles get bigger when I, when I do this. In the same way, practicing God's virtues will make them increase and they will be visible. For if you practice these qualities... You will never fall. That's a pretty big deal too. That's a great promise. He's saying, let's stick with the plan, guys. We're not just saved so that we can go our own way and do whatever we want. We're supposed to practice. There is a part. There is a part for us to do. So if you've repented of your sins, and if you call Jesus Christ your King and your Savior, this is your part. Practice God's virtues. You may not be an expert in self-control today. I am not an expert in self-control, but by the grace of God, every day I'm, I'm inching my way there. You may not be an expert in brotherly love and loving your, your friends, loving your not-so-friends, you know, loving your family. Keep practicing. Keep practicing these things. You may not be perfectly godly. None of us are, and we won't be until we get to heaven. But keep practicing. Verse 11. The final verse. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a promise. So that's our call today. Keep, let's keep practicing God's virtues. Keep practicing. That's our part. So, at this time, we're going to um, have the offering, and then we're going to get into communion, which our brother Jonathan Porter will do. So here you go, Bob. Thank you. <laughs>